0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, nobody got really all that hurt yesterday. Dwayne Dedman got ejected and Jared Allen had a cold, but nobody really got badly hurt last night. Specifically, no superstars got badly hurt last night. Thank goodness. Holy shemoly! We've been on this ridiculous stretch here lately uh, of big name players getting hurt. Soul crushing, soul crushing. But not on Tuesday. No, we made it through a seven-seven. Was it seven games? A seven-game Tuesday without anybody getting battered or bruised. I think the only player that left early with injury was Dwight Powell. And I think, I think we can probably weather that storm we got some breakout games yesterday i want to spend some time uh focusing on really two or three key name players these are name brand guys that i want to focus on because yesterday was not really about uh guys that emerged from the card but over the last 24 hours one thing that has happened is that we've got two pretty big-name players, likely set to make their return to the NBA in the not-too-distant future. And that is, unquestionably, the big news of the day. So let's start there. Before we even introduce the podcast, we are starting with the biggest news that came out of the late afternoon yesterday, which is that Jonathan Isaac, apparition though he may be, has been sent to Lakeland to play with the Orlando Magic G League team, which I think the game is later on today, and it's going to be on ESPN+. So if you guys want to see Jonathan Isaac play like 14 minutes in a G League game, that's going to be on ESPN+. He hasn't played in two and a half years. Jonathan Isaac last played in the bubble, uh, or did he get hurt right before the bubble? It's been a real long time. Honestly, it doesn't matter. We just went through this same discussion basically with TJ Warren, Now, the difference on the Warren front was that we kept hearing about setbacks and additional injuries and things that were keeping him out. With Jonathan Isaac, we really didn't hear much of anything. And in fact, as recently as like a week ago, they said that he was basically just playing. He was participating in full practices, but didn't have a timetable for a return. This puts a timetable on things. It does. Now, could he be in the G League for a week? Yeah, could he be down there for two weeks, three weeks? All of these things are actually possible. They're all conceivable. But we need to try to go on what the more likely outcome is. And I just realized that I'm I'm holding a, a, a small screwdriver. I'm just going to hold it the whole damn podcast today. That's, that's the way today's going to go. The most likely situation here is that Isaac is going to use the G League to get his conditioning. This is basically going to be like his preseason, which, admittedly, he hasn't had one in, in like the better part of three NBA years. But this is now Jonathan Isaac's preseason. And this is, frankly, kind of smart. Which, for all the things that the Magic have done super weird on the Jonathan Isaac front, this is actually a good idea and I wish that more teams would do this type of thing. You just can't convince a star-level player or someone who's been in the NBA a really long time or has only been out for like two months instead of two and a half years. You're not going to be able to convince those guys to do it. They're going to be like, nah, screw that. Put me in a ball game. put me in for 15, 16 minutes. But when these guys come back from a big injury on a severe minutes cap, it actually screws with their team more than anyone would care to admit yesterday's uh that no, wasn't yesterday it was two days ago I think no it was yesterday Let's track of time very easily yesterday's Steph Curry who played 31 minutes by the way uh return screwed up the Warriors a little bit and obviously they're going to be much much better as he gets his legs underneath him but this is what always happens and this is more of a sports betting thing but you can apply it here on this Jonathan Isaac situation as well in sports betting It is common practice among those who actually are kind of sharp about it, and less so among the so many big-name people that now feel like they need to sports bet. God, kill me with this ESPN. Uh, When a superstar goes down, it's common practice to bet on that team because the line tends to over-adjust to their impact, and a team, the remaining players, tend to play harder when their superstar goes down. Oh, we need to cover for this guy. They run out of gas two or three games later, and then you kind of get this plateauing. But the flip happens when a superstar returns to a ball club. All of the players tend to give less than 100% because they're trying to work their superstar back in. They feel like they don't have to do as much. They kind of, quote-unquote, made it through the hard times, while at the same time they're welcoming back someone who doesn't have their legs back. They're going to be rusty. Nothing is 100%. So I'm sure you can find an example in the not-so-distant past where a superstar came back and the team was totally fine. But for the most part, and you saw it with Golden State, and you're going to see it with lots of teams the rest of the way, and I sort of spot bet these days because I don't have time to handicap the entire card, when a superstar comes back, it screws with the team's chemistry for a game or two. Even if it's someone that's always been there, like Steph Curry. And this was like the perfect storm because this was a game where the Warriors figured they could just like kind of screw around and beat a Phoenix team missing their entire lineup while also working Steph back in. But then it's not a coincidence that Steph shot 36% on ridiculously high volume because it was that first game back. So this is my plea to the NBA. If you got a player ready to come back, and this is as a fantasy enthusiast, And they need, and you know, in Steph's defense, so maybe this isn't the world's greatest example, he played 31 minutes here. Maybe Andrew Wiggins would have been a better example because he played whatever it was, like 15, 16 minutes, and then he got ratcheted up here to 29. When guys are coming back with a minutes cap, let them play a couple of games in a G League. Let them get their wind back in the G League. And more than anything else... You know, if it's a player that, had, like in Kevin Durant's case, you're not going to get him to go play a week in the G League, and he already had his preseason. So his conditioning's not going to be completely boned when he comes back. But what about these guys, like a Chris Middleton, who tried to come back and ended up hurt? Because, and this is like reason one billion why we don't draft injured players. They come back, they try to have their preseason during the season, and other stuff happens. JJJ is the exception to the rule. There's always one exception every year, and that's the guy that everybody's going to focus their eyes on the following season when they're like, hey, this works all the time. Last year, it was Pascal Siakam. He came back from injury, and he was just fine the rest of the year. JJJ's come back from injury, and he's been amazing so far this year. There's always one. There's always one. But a lot of the time, Most of the time, the guy coming back from injury tries to get going too fast and other stuff breaks down. I think it was Paul George like three years ago where this is like the perfect example of it. He tried to come back too soon or he tried to come back and have his preseason during the season, especially guys like PG that are always dinged up. Guys need their preseason in a non-competitive environment. They just have to get loose. They have to get their conditioning right in a non-competitive environment or something is going to go wrong. So that's what's happening here with Jonathan Isaac, coming back around to the story we were actually talking about here. Jonathan Isaac is going to get his preseason at the G League level. He's practiced. He's got his wind back, but he doesn't have his legs back. And it could be a long time. So if you're contemplating on the Jonathan Isaac front, here's where I think you stand with that. One. I wouldn't touch him in a head-to-head league in a thousand light years. I guess it's a distance. Bad, bad science, Dan. I wouldn't touch him in a head-to-head league under any circumstance, even if I had an injured list slot to, slash, to sash to in, because there's no guarantee this year that he ever plays more than 20 minutes in an NBA game. Obviously, the... uh. The upside here with Jonathan Ising, go all the way back to 1920, (laughs) not the year 1920, the 2019-2020 season, to see that in 29 minutes a game, he was number 17 in 9-cat. Basically putting up JJJ numbers, what he's done this year uh, with fewer points. Two and a half blocks, one and a half steals. He was was basically at four defensive stats. He was beating Anthony Davis in defensive stats per ballgame when Jonathan Isaac got hurt in early, right at the end. Yeah, and then he missed a bunch of time, and then he tried to come back, and it didn't go all that well. He played 34 games that year. If you want to go back, I mean, you can go back farther if you want here on, on Isaac. I don't know that we necessarily need to, because, like, it's all very straightforward. The previous year, he played about 26 minutes per ball game and he was just inside the top 100, but that was because his field goal percent was super low. He was also kind of... He didn't really have his legs because he was coming back from another thing. I know, repetitive stress, or repetitive... What, what's the, the old adage? The definition, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. But that plays into this thing also. When Jonathan Isaac is mobile, he's at least two defensive stats per ballgame. So I think you could see a scenario where he's playing 22, 23 minutes a game, and he's inside the top 100... Pretty comfortably. But he's not going to play in back-to-backs. No chance. Not even... a Not zero. Not even one. Zero chance that he plays in back-to-backs. Because Orlando's not, like, gunning for anything this year. Zero chance that he's playing significant minutes in the month of January. I'm fully aware that there are three weeks left in the month of January. So... There's really only one needle threading time when you should consider a Jonathan Isaac pickup, and that is Roto, Games Cap, Nine Cat, where you are not super far behind in Games Cap because you're going to be squatting on this dude for at least three weeks before you even consider dropping him into your lineup. But it's a massive home run hack. Pitcher might throw us a curveball and bounce it, and we might be four feet out in front of that thing. It might be that like that Jerkson Profire swing this year on a on a Clayton Kershaw curveball that bounced like ten feet in front of home plate. It was the biggest gap between bat and ball in the stat cast era. That might be what happens here with Jonathan Isaac. But on the five percent chance. That from the all-star break until the end of the year, he plays 24 minutes a game in a Roto Games Cap format, I would take it. Because he is in 24 or more minutes per game. He is a game changer in two statistical categories. That's how you get up into the second round when you when you don't score. You are hyper elite in other stuff. And he wasn't a great rebounder. He's not a great passer. And his free throw number was fine. And his field goal number was meh. Steals, blocks. That was it. The other news of a player coming back is Ricky Rubio. Now, I feel quite differently, actually, about Ricky Rubio because I don't actually think there's much in the way of fantasy upside with him. And I know what you're going to say. Your retort should be, but Dan, Rubio looked pretty good last year. And I would say to you, yes, you are absolutely right. Ricky Rubio did look good last year, but Ricky Rubio looked good last year when he was the second playmaker on that Cavs team behind Darius Garland because Colin Sexton was already out for the year. They didn't have Karis LeVert. They didn't have Donovan Mitchell. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. Even if you put Rubio in front of Lavert at some point down the line, Garland and Mitchell are still in front of him. So this isn't a case. Rubio needs like f- almost full starters minutes and ball control to have fantasy value because his is tied up in assists and steals. Steals you get by being on the court a long time. Assists you get by having the basketball in your hand. If he doesn't have the basketball in his hand for a large chunk of the ball game, there's just no way for him to get to value because he's not a great score. His field goal percent is low. His free throw percent is solid, but he needs to be shooting for that to matter. It's not like Jonathan Isaac where he can just be out there. No one even has to look at him on the offensive side and he could still put up some kind of fantasy value. And that's why you take that home run hack. And for Ricky Rubio... It wouldn't be a home run hack. Even in a good case scenario, he's probably near the top 100. My guess is he's outside the top 150. And with that, I say welcome to the show, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I am your host, Dan Bespris. And I know we had a lot to talk about before we even got going. I am on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Take a brief, fleeting moment to go over there and drop a follow on my name. I do so much work on social media. I keep trying to add new fun and interesting things to do on social, and I'm going to continue to try to do that until the end of time because, I mean, that's, that's one way to grow this thing. Do a podcast every day, hustle your butt off on social media, and try to win a bunch. And beyond that, that's, uh, I don't know, what more can, what more can I do? It's like quoting an Encanto song here. Oops. Hey, quickly, I want to mention also that we are recruiting here at Sports Ethos. So if you're watching this thing and you're like, I could do that crap, hit me. We're looking for fantasy NBA, MLB, NFL, and NHL. Folks that are not currently analysts that think they can make the jump. It's a good, it's a hustle, man. You got to be able to, you got to be ready to grind. You guys see how much time I spend on this stuff. Uh, folks will be running the blurb feed, writing articles. It's a blast. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Besperus. That's the best way to do it. Or you can email roster at sportsethos.com on the uh, very silly chance that you don't use social media at all, which you should if you're playing fantasy basketball. That's how you can get in touch. Uh, but let's go over to the box score sheet here and take a look at what I went on yesterday. There's a few big-name guys, like I mentioned earlier, that I want to kind of focus on because around the periphery yesterday, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff. Detroit was down a lot of players. Uh, no Boyan Bogdanovich, no Jalen Duran, in addition to all the usual stuff. No Isaiah Stewart. So Nerland's Noel got a start. Played 21 minutes, 5 points, 5 boards, a steal, and 3 blocks. He's another guy that, in 20-some-odd minutes, can get you 3 defensive stats per ballgame. Odds are it won't happen again, but Jalen Duran's already been ruled out for Detroit's next ballgame, so I guess you never know. And if there's an opportunity where Duran and Stewart are each out at the same time again, hell yeah. In fact, it actually looks like it's tonight. Yeah, as of about 25 minutes ago, it looks like both of those players were ruled out. So Nerland's time, baby. 21 minutes, by the way, is enough for him, I should point out. He doesn't need to do very much. Uh, that's enough. And who knows? Maybe, they'll, maybe they won't maybe they will lose by 30. Maybe the game won't be a 40-point game at the end of the third quarter, and you'll see even a little bit more of some of these guys. Uh, Bojan Bogdanovich sounds like he's back in, so this was a rest game for him, uh, which gives, I think, a pretty clear indicator that he's not going to be playing every game here leading up to the trade deadline. Um, and so if you had notions of thinking about someone like a Sadiq Bay or a Kevin Knox or a Hamadou Diallo. Nah, just go in a different direction. And then we saw Killian Hayes, because this is what's going to happen with him. He'll have those big games. He'll have these quiet ones and it'll balance out on the Philly side. I think you guys may need to be, me to remind you again, that the Anthony Melton takes time to figure out what his role is. We saw it at the beginning of the year when he was on the bench he started to figure out by about his third or fourth game off the bench. Then he moved into a starting role when James Harden at that point went down. Stayed there for a while because Embiid missed a few games. Then Maxi went down for a month and a half. Now, took, by the way, it took him about three games to figure out how to be a starter. Now it's going to take him a few games to remember how to be a reserve again. We saw Melton with really good usage in only 18 minutes yesterday. His minutes are going to trend back up. A lot of this had to do with the blowout. He didn't get his last six, seven, eight minutes of the ballgame. He'll probably be in the... 25 to 30 window most days off the bench as opposed to more like 30 to 35 as a starter. So yes, will his value take a hit with everybody back? Of course, everybody's value takes a hit when everybody's back. Melton's will come down, but I see him inside the top 100. I would not panic if you saw 18 minutes yesterday because you should look at everybody's minutes in the starting five and the only one of them that played more than 26 was Tobias Harris. And B-24, Harden 20, just barely hit 26, Maxi 23, P.J. Tucker 21. They didn't have to play. They had to play half a ball game. So Melton was one of the players I wanted to talk about, and I uh, kept that one relatively brief. Josh Giddy triple-doubled in a loss for Oklahoma City. Jalen Williams just kind of quietly plunking along here. He continues to be a startable asset. Uh, I got a question on Twitter earlier today uh, about whether or not I thought that Jalen Williams would continue to be startable when Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Alexei Pokushevsky come back. And my answer is, we don't fully know. My guess is that he hangs around right near the edge, like right on the border of being startable there. Um, because that's kind of where he was before they went down. His minutes were good. But his touches weren't. And that if that's what happens again, then he probably... I mean, you might be looking at more of like a schedule stream type of valuation for him. But there's no reason for you to do anything about it right now. Because he's fine and you can just sort of keep rolling with him as long as he continues to be fine. On the other side, Jimmy Butler, 23 for 23 at the free throw line. But he's rostered everywhere. Butler, by the way, up to number 10 per game. 22 by totals. He's beating his ADP, which was 30 in both. I know everybody wants to hate on Jimmy and how many games he misses, and it is a pain in the butt, but he's actually beating his ADP by totals and per game right now. So he's been a fantasy win to this point. Uh, Max Struess was solid. This was a ball game where the Heat were missing pretty much everybody also. Kyle Lowry was out. Uh, Caleb Martin's been out for a while. Bam Adebayo was out. Tyler Hero was out. So you had... Uh, effectively four of the regular starters gone for the Heat. And Victor Oladipo, there's a lot that actually we need to cover with Miami, so let me let me slow down here for a second. First of all, Victor Oladipo appears to be startable uh, even when the Heat are basically at full strength. I don't know that it's for sure when everyone's back, but I think we can safely say that if there's even one guy out, that Oladipo is worth a starting uh, worth a start in basically any format. I think he's going to be tougher to roster in head to head because he's still not playing in back to backs, and not every ball game he's going to do as much as he did in this one because the entire team was hurt. But Roto Games Cap, again, with one guy out, he's sort of barely a start. With more than that, he's a very obvious start. Max Struess is a different burger because he, in my estimation, needs like three guys out because he needs a ton of shots and he needs like pretty much anybody on this team that does stuff to get out of the way. That's how he got enough shots to be fantasy relevant. He's going to get a ton of shots. He's not going to be because most of his value is tied up in three pointers. So with Struce, he'd be one of my first ones to cut in terms of streamers as guys come back. And along with Struce, Gabe Vincent is another guy. I think you can consider streaming as long as like, let's say Lowry and Hero are each out In the next one, let's say hypothetically those two guys are still out and maybe Bam comes back. I think you could probably still start Vincent as the secondary ball handler behind Jimmy Butler. I don't know if you'd start Struess because Adebayo is going to take a lot of those shots. And then finally, Orlando Robinson, who got himself into foul trouble, rebounds, steals, and blocks, and field goal percent. I think he actually is a decent Bam streamer. If Adebayo misses another ball game, I, I do think that there's— I mean, it's not a super high ceiling for Robinson, but it's a decently high floor. This is actually a startable fantasy line in 24 minutes, and uh, that's with a ton of foul trouble and kind of sort of everything going wrong. Which, by the way, could happen again because, you know, young dude trying to settle in and, and play with the starters, easier said than done. Toronto-Charlotte, just a couple very quick footnotes on this ballgame. Dennis Smith Jr., 24 minutes. Looks like that's probably where he's going to be stuck, so use him as a steals streamer for now, but nothing else. Terry Rozier, ladies and gentlemen, top 20 over the last week. I know, very small sample size. But I believe it's the first time he's had a week inside the top 50 all season long. Field goal percent. Ticking up for Terry, right near top 130 on the year now, after really sitting in like the 160, 170 range for a long time. Are we finally seeing the great leveling for Rosier? Did it just take a little bit longer? Is the constant buy low recommendation finally going to pay off? We'll find out. Oh, and Mason Plumley, he's in one of his little heaters again. Every two weeks, we talk about how Plumley's in a little heater he has these two three four games in a row where he looks better then he cools off then he gets better then he cools off just you know use sparingly but if you need field goal percent rebounds and assists out of a big man uh that's what'll get you because he doesn't get much in the way of defensive stats and his free throw shooting is atrocious Cleveland's defense, not surprisingly, suffered when Jared Allen left early with an illness. He'll be fine. No reason to worry there. You're not picking up Lamar Stevens. But obviously, when the center goes down, Evan Mobley gets a big jump. His value is way higher when Jared Allen is hurt. Uh, it's a great time to have Mobley for a game or two if Allen has to miss any more time. Utah is the more interesting team in this one because now we got to look again at Utah without Kelly Olynyk, And they went heavy on the Walker Kessler. Now, admittedly, we do see teams go bigger against Cleveland because we know the Cavs like to play big. Mobley, Allen, Kevin Love, they tend to run uh, a lot of larger dudes out there. So, yes, I pretty strongly believe that that was some of what you saw with Utah's lineups yesterday because Jared Vanderbilt only got to play 17 minutes. Uh, Not all. Some of it was also the fact that Walker Kessler just continues to show Steady improvement. He was a plus six in a game they won by four. Mike Conley was actually team best plus eight. And I have thoughts on a bunch of Utah chats. First of all, Walker Kessler should have been on your rosters for the last six, seven weeks anyway. But someone was like, should I add him on Twitter? And I was like, what the hell kind of league is this where no one had Walker Kessler? Absolutely. Must be on your team and must be started. We knew that was going to be the case when Olenek went down, um, that he would get a big bump. And 30 minutes is is magically large jared vanderbilt hang on a little bit longer some of this felt matchup uh relevant because vando had actually been better like three of his last four ball games coming into this one so don't punt after just one ball game jordan clarkson he's been a bit better since i called him out for being horrendous efficiency he's still outside the top 140 he still profiles much better as a points league option but he has been top 90 in nine cat over the last month uh, pretty much since I, I called him unrosterable. The fear, of course, is that he's going to hit a cold spell again, and then he'll go back to that kind of top 200 stretch. So, again, use when it makes sense. Uh, Mike Conley, he's really not been super engaged on the offensive side. He's just kind of steering the boat for Utah right now. That's the the expression I've been using with him, where he's out there, but is he really out there? He's just putting the ball in the right spot. He's running an offense without kind of being involved in it. And he had a pretty good first half. I think he had like eight points and three assists at halftime. And he just really didn't do anything in the second half. Uh, the steals are a little lower. The assists are fine. But would I drop him outright? I think, yeah, I think you can, honestly, at this point. He's really a, an assists specialist schedule streamer for now. Someone would probably pick him up if you dropped him, which of course is going to give everybody pause, but then they'll probably end up dropping him too down the line. So if you don't badly need assists, you could I guess suppose you could just bench him. That might be the easier play. It feels a little bit less final. But he hasn't been startable lately. And we're talking like a good you know four weeks of that at this point. The other name that I mentioned on yesterday's podcast when when we got the Olinic report that he was out for a couple of weeks is Malik Beasley. Because there is going to be some of that trickle-down, extra stuff. Linux minutes are going to get spread between Kessler, Vanderbilt, and then who's the next guy in the pecking order when everybody kind of gets shifted up a spot in defensive position, and it was Beasley. He probably goes back to being, you know, we do these streamer boards on Twitter, more of like a one-burger kind of streamer. He moves himself just above schedule stream to everyday stream, I believe. Orlando was a team we were kind of taking a reset button on, just to see wherever he, where all the pieces were were falling, because I thought Bull Bull was going to play in this one, and he didn't even play. So let's hit the reset button again on Orlando's next ballgame. For now, I have the same feeling that I had on yesterday's show, which is that Franz, Fultz, Wendell Carter Jr., and Boncaro, those are the four guys you can start in category leagues and nobody else. Cole Anthony had a bad one. Uh, so that kind of helped prove my point. Jalen Suggs, his minutes went down. That continued to prove my point. These are points leagues type of guys, but even their minutes are not guaranteed right now. Nothing on Portland. They're the same old, same old. They're a team that's a little bit in free fall right now. I don't know what they're gonna do about it. I guess we'll see. Uh Warriors got Steph back, which means that Dante DiVincenzo is a drop. Easy little recap there on the Warriors. Phoenix side, uh, <laughs> Everybody was out. No Shamit, who was already filling in for uh Devin Booker. Still no Cam Johnson, no Chris Paul, no DeAndre Ayton. Their pets' heads are falling off. Um, Mikael Bridges was pretty much the only regular that was still out there. So the Suns trotted a starting lineup out there of Mikhail Bridges, uh, Dario Saric, who ended up having a really nice ball game, Bismack Biambo, who was pretty decent in his 17 minutes but yeah don't please no stop uh tory craig who double doubled with a couple of blocks and Dwayne washington who had 21 points on 17 shots and went real usage crazy in a win yeah warriors should have taken this game a little bit more seriously they didn't they paid for it oh by the way on the warrior side you got to try to sell on jordan Poole. um if you can get, like, a top 80 type of guy, I would do it. You might not be able to, in which case you might just kind of have to see how this thing shakes out. Maybe he goes on a little efficiency run here. But but let's talk more about the Suns. Um, what do we do? Well, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton are considered day-to-day right now. Landry Shamit also day-to-day. Excuse me. They have three guys who are day-to-day. Campaign was another player who was out that I didn't even mention. He's out for almost two weeks still. Cam Johnson, we just have no reports on. You know, we saw him like running straight lines, whatever it was, ten days ago, and nothing since then. So I think we can safely. And then with Booker, we're still looking at a few more weeks as well. So I think we can assume those guys are still out for a little bit longer. What we don't know is will Chris Paul show up? Suns signed uh, Sabin Lee earlier today, which gives me the impression that they expect their point guards to miss another couple of ball games. But I guess we'll see does he now get in the mix and play a bunch of minutes? That's a big question mark. Do they continue to give Dwayne Washington copious minutes and usage? I don't know. Bridges, obviously, we don't need to talk about. Let's say DeAndre Ayton misses another ballgame. Well, I think that means that Dario Saric is a guy you should strongly consider. He picked up a lot of that kind of interior stuff while also being, I mean, technically he was the power forward, but uh Jock Landale came in as center for a bit. Saric did a lot of center-y type of stuff from the power forward spot. He's probably startable if, if Aiton misses another ballgame. If. I don't know if I would do it, but maybe. You know what? Maybe you guys probably just want to know, Dan, who would you start in the next ballgame? It's so contingent on who's in and who's out. If all of these guys are still out again, for Phoenix's next ballgame, yeah, I would start Torrey Craig. I'd probably start Dwayne Washington. I'd probably start Dario Saric. I don't know if I would start Damian Lee. He went 14 for 14 at the free throw line. And he's 22 for 22 for them over his last couple of ball games. A lot of his value is tied up in high-volume foul shooting, which to me is a little bit of a question mark because if he's not effective at scoring in a given ballgame, the other stuff is not really there to support it. I would not start Biombo, uh, and I would certainly not start Jock Landale. Now, if DeAndre Ayton comes back, you wipe Landale off the board, you wipe Sharich off the board. If Chris Paul comes back, you wipe Dwayne Washington off the board. If Landry Shamit comes back, you wipe the even the thought of Damian Lee off the board and possibly even the thought of Torrey Craig, although you know, he gets defensive stats, he gets rebounds. There's a little bit more to support the high floor, low ceiling with him. But the short answer, which is not really what I'm good at in podcasting, the short answer is we need to see who's playing for Phoenix in their next ball game. Clippers beat Dallas 113-101, final game of the night, and, oh, we got good news in this one. Kawhi Leonard looking like Kawhi Leonard. Oh, man, was this one, this was like vintage Kawhi. I don't mean to alarm you all, but Kawhi is up to number 54 per game in 9-cat right now. Over the last two weeks, Kawhi Leonard is number nine in 9-cat. Nine I know, small sample size, but you know what? He looks like Kawhi. High volume, free throw, big positive. Field goal percent, positive. Steals are back. Scoring, threes, rebounding. It's all coming back. 12 for 12 at the foul line in this ballgame. Nine for 12 from the field, including three three three-pointers. Phew. Funny thing is now with Kawhi, who, what has he played? 19 games on the season at this point. Like, there's just no way that he's going to get anywhere near the proper number of games. He's 20 behind a lot of the NBA. And he'll fall likely farther behind because he's going to sit out back-to-backs. But what did we say at the beginning of the year when we, when you drafted Kawhi Leonard? Which, unfortunately, I didn't end up with him, good or bad news, I suppose, I didn't end up with him in nearly as many places as, as I thought I would because in a lot of the roto leagues I was in, I don't know if people were listening to this pod or if other pods were saying that he was going lower than we all expected. Uh, his ADP in on Yahoo didn't parallel his actual draft position in the various leagues that I found myself in. So like I thought I was going to be able to get him in the middle of the third to late third round and then all of a sudden he was going like at the end of the second round, but in the couple of places that I got him, We got to think about it from this perspective. He has that Jimmy Butler type thing going on where, like, look, Jimmy's only lagging like 10 games behind most of the NBA right now. That's why by totals he's still inside the second round and beating his ADP. But let's say that Kawhi mostly keeps up with the league the rest of the way and rolls like top 7, top 10 range from now until the end of the year. He might actually get inside the top 30 by totals. Seems insane to think about it, but it's not it's not a dead possibility. I'm so excited about Kawhi finally cooking here. He's going to miss games, just like get used to it. Uh, Paul George still out, so Norman Powell continues to be the play there. I got a billion questions on Terrence Mann. If he's the starting point guard and one of the two Clippers starters or stars, I should say, is sidelined, I would play him. And thank goodness Mann kind of saved yesterday's line with a good fourth quarter because it was looking real ugly before then. Uh, if both superstars are in, I'm not playing Terrence Mann because I don't think he's going to get enough usage in that spot. And if both superstars are out, then you definitely play him. But that's, I think, a pretty obvious and logical conclusion from the things I had said previously. A couple other notes on the Clippers. If a Zubat, it's a big-time foul trouble uh, and then they just sort of didn't really give him any extra time late in the ball game. He had three fouls in the first four minutes of the game. So it was like four minutes in the first half and a dozen in the second half. Don't panic on Zubats. He still managed to put up an okay line, and that's probably going to keep people from panicking. But uh, lately, he's been quite a bit better for the Clips. So don't freak out there. Uh, again, Powell's the my favorite streamer when a superstar is out. Man is kind of second in line. Nick Batum and Rob Covington each deserve just a brief moment here towards the end of the podcast. Batum is so good in 9-cat, but he goes through these these waves that are almost always tied into his health. He gets hurt after like two to three weeks of good 9-cat play. Then he comes back and he doesn't quite look like himself. And then he rounds into shape after like four or five games, and then you can squeeze like three to five games out of him before he gets hurt again. Frankly, it's too much work in head-to-head. In roto games cap, you gotta—you pretty much need to wait until he puts up his first good roto line, and then try to pounce on it for like three games. It's a lot of work for not that much return. And then with Covington, I did not see this one coming. But keep a very close watch on it because my instinct tells me that Paul George comes back and Covington loses most of the playing time he got yesterday. But right now, Reggie Jackson is kind of doghoused a little bit, a little dinged up, but mostly doghoused. John Wall, they don't need point guards as much with Kawhi back because the offense is pretty much going to run through him. And then when Paul George is back, too, they also really, really don't need a point guard at that point. So Clippers kind of leaning into a different look right now. If that look is, we're just going to play a crap ton of wings and count on our superstars to initiate the offense, that would be really good news for Covington because he only needs about 24 minutes to have value with the Clippers. We saw that last year. He did it in like 22 minutes. So don't completely ignore it. Again, probably doesn't stick when Paul George comes back because Batum, Marcus Morris, Terrence Mann, these guys are ahead of him, Powell, in the pecking order. But if they decide they want to go that sort of defense and three-ball stuff, and Rocco certainly fits that mold, it's not out of the question that he could pop up as someone who can really churn out a ton of value quickly, fast. That was your Tuesday card, and that was your return of the injured guys here on the podcast. We got a lot left to cover. Let's talk about the Wednesday card really fast before we wrap things up here on the recorded podcast side. Chicago in Washington Bulls likely to be without DeMar DeRozan he's listed as doubtful there was a brief period where he got a questionable tag and I thought uh-uh, not with a quad strain he ain't playing in this ballgame and I think I'm probably going to be right on that one but I suppose you never know I still think he misses a week and I love Patrick Williams as the fill-in there while he's gone Washington I expect well we have to see who's healthy enough to play Porzingis and Gafford are questionable for this ballgame that makes a really big difference on what else you do with the Wizards, because if Porzingis is out on top of Beal, then Monte Morris becomes a must-play guy because he just has to take the extra usage. So watch the health report on, on the Wizards. We'll have some thoughts on that over on social media. Again, that's at Dan Vesperus over there. Uh, Minnesota, not much right now. They're, uh, I think we had a pretty good feel for them. Slow-mo's a go. Nas Reed, probably not enough playing time right now. Detroit. With Boyan in, Durin and Stewart out, I still think you could probably play Noel, as we talked about earlier in the pod. Indiana, nothing. Knicks, nothing really. Uh, I mean, nothing surprising, I guess I should say. The only thing we're looking at is, does R.J. Barrett play? If he does, then you bench Emmanuel quickly. Easy. New Orleans and Boston. There are some angles in this ball game, so I want to. I'll come back around to New Orleans, and Boston, because that, that one I can't really do in in perfect lightning round mode. Milwaukee, Atlanta. Not a whole lot there. Uh, Bucks have a couple of schedule stream type of guys. Atlanta. Trey Young got ruled out, so that is something. Um, I don't know that anybody necessarily moves across the cut line or the ad line, depending on what direction you're moving towards the line. But Boyan or Bogdan Bogdanovich... And DeJounte Murray are gonna get a ton more on offense. That's great for those guys in particular. Spurs, Keldon Johnson is questionable. Whether he plays actually makes a really big difference to guys like Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, etc. So keep an eye on the status report there. Memphis. I believe John Morant is expected back for this ballgame. So, you know, womp womp to Tyus Jones because he's so good as a fill in. But otherwise, uh, nothing really for the Grizz. Phoenix on the back-to-back in Denver. This is a brutal back-to-back. I can't imagine the Suns' skeleton crew has anything left in the tank. The only question here is whether Denver takes them seriously or you get a Nuggets performance like they gave against the Lakers, which was like, you know what, we're just going to coast and we know we're going to win this thing by about a dozen. Uh, You could probably fade the Suns. I don't know. Maybe they've got something left in the tank. Oh, good Lord. Would any of those regulars make their return for Phoenix? Look, you have to watch the health news on Phoenix, but this is a tough game. This is a late-night trip from Golden State, Pacific time, into mountain time, into altitude on the back-to-back. Suns are going to be completely gassed, so it's probably not a great time to use those streamers. Denver, same stuff as usual. Houston, literally nothing at all. And Sacramento, uh, Kevin Herter just got tossed on the injury report with a flu or a cold. If he sits, I think it just makes Malik Monk a tiny bit safer as more of a schedule stream type of play. But I don't know that I would go uh, much deeper than that. That's probably about as far as I would go. Um, Let me come back to New Orleans-Boston here before we put the pin officially in today's episode of Fantasy NBA Today. Pelicans, so Herb Jones is now on the injury report as well. We know Zion and Brandon Ingram are still out. Trey Murphy is really hard to use, even though all indicators say he needs to do something. Like, everybody's out. Surely he has to be involved, and yet lately he hasn't really been. I think you kind of have to wait until he shows that he has confidence again. Um, because otherwise you're going to get this guy who doesn't really want to be a part of what's going on with their offense. Najee Marshall uh, should be a really good start on points league side. Larry Nance, I think, should... I mean, this feels like the kind of game where they're going to need Larry Nance a lot against an excellent offensive team that's just going to completely decimate Jonas Valanciunas on defense. So I think Nance actually has a pretty decent ballgame here. And then on the Boston side, just... Well, Time Lord is is questionable because he's going to rest one half of a Celtics back-to-back. It might be this one. Who the hell is Boston playing on Thursday? Ooh, in Brooklyn, two marquee games for the Celtics on a back-to-back. So I have no idea which game Time Lord's going to play. But either way, Al Horford is fine. Please stop asking me about that. Those two guys can coexist. And they did it for an entire bleeping season last year where the Celtics made the finals. The real question for Boston is, who fills in for Marcus Smart in this one? Because it was weirdly Grant Williams in their last ballgame. Uh, I still think that Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon are the higher odds play, uh, but you know at least now we know that it's not a guarantee. If I'm going to choose anybody, I choose Derek White, because I like the fact that he gets defensive stats, he just has a higher floor, and so you give him a little bit more point guard job work in the first unit, Uh, And that's only good for him. Malcolm Brogdon relies more on the scoring stuff, which they didn't really need from Marcus Smart anyway, but it is minutes. You get him out there for a few more minutes, that's good for his fantasy value. Derek White would be my favorite fill-in, then Brogdon, then Grant Williams, even though it kind of went the other way uh, in Boston's last ballgame. And that is your Wednesday show here. This, again, was Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. Thank you, everybody, once again, recorded pod listeners. I love you all so very much. And I'll talk to you again tomorrow. We'll break down this medium-sized everyday card as we continue to.